Did I do it right? Glory. Well, good morning. Brother Tom, you do know that what comes around goes around. <laughs> uh, well, good morning. I've uh, ministered a few times in the past, and uh, it's always a pleasure and a joy to be able to speak to this congregation. And Pastor Jim is a good friend of mine, a prayer partner. We've prayed together for many, many years. And, and this church and many of our churches in this community, we're just knit together in love. I just love the unity of the faith. Amen? Amen. You know, it's the same gospel whether we are in different churches or wherever we are. There's, um, it's the same Jesus. It's the same Holy Ghost. It's the same Word of God. Um, and so I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to come. And I'm going to share something with you this morning that I believe the Lord's put on my heart just to encourage you. And, and I, I trust that based on what I'm hearing already in the music and the testimonies, that uh, I actually may have actually heard from God. I may actually have the right message. Uh, I told Pastor Carol a couple weeks ago because she was asking me what I was going to preach, and I had a whole different message. It was going to try to fit in with your uh, year of opportunity. And then uh, I was told that uh, Brother Andrew was going to be uh, doing some other things on that, so I said, ah, he stole my thunder. I just guess I have to preach something else. So, If you have your Bible handy, open please to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for, again, this opportunity just to stand in your presence and worship you, to honor you for who you are and for what you've done in our lives. And Father, most importantly, we thank you for your word, because without your word, we wouldn't even know you. Jesus and the Word are one. So as we get a greater appreciation and love and understanding of your Word, we can fall more into love with Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the anointing that rests upon each and every one of us, and especially upon your Word that comes forth today, that it can be a transforming Word, an encouraging Word, an equipping Word. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed said. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Now let me remind you of the context here of Deuteronomy chapter 10. Moses had just been instructed to go back up to the mountain to meet with God and to hew out two new tablets, because remember he had come down and Israel had uh, violated the covenant and he had gotten into sin and Moses had break, broken the original tablets. And so God tells them to come back up and he's going to restore to them his word. And that's the setting of it. And right at the end of that situation, then he says this verse to them, what does the Lord require of you? And he gives us five specific things to fear the Lord, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him, and to keep his commandments. Um, keep your place there, but jump over also, if you want to, to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. There's a parallel here. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. Again, here's that word good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? I think it's interesting that in both Old Testament scriptures, he's asking the same basic question. What does the Lord require of us? And you know, it's, it's interesting because I believe that God desires for something good in our lives. It says, he has shown you. Now, that, that may not really impact us. So I, I looked that up in the literal Hebrew and some other translations to say, all right, what is it that he's really shown us? And it means he has declared, he has explained, he has announced, or he has made plain to us his word and the desire of his heart and his will. And so in this situation, when we look at these two scriptures and we kind of put them together, we realize there's eight things. Now, again, I, I only have one short little service with you. Obviously, when I've taught this before, it's turned into about a 16-week series. And I'm a teacher, so that has a tendency that I can take one thing and, and really stretch it out evangelistically. And make it really go a long way. And uh, this is one of those 
great passages of Scripture where you can just really camp on this. But the thing is, every time I've taught this series, there's one thing that never escapes me, and that's this. That I believe it all starts with the fear of the Lord. If there's one thing out of this series, out of this passage that I can just, if I had to pick one thing to touch on this morning, it's what does the Lord require of thee? And that's for us to understand and learn the fear of the Lord. You know, that's one of those phrases we throw around and people have misunderstandings about the fear of the Lord. Because the hard thing is in, the, in both the Old and the New Testament, the word fear is interchangeable. It's the same word whether we are talking about a fear that is terrifying and, and just scares us silly or the kind of fear where you stand in awe and reverence. It's actually the same word. You know, how many of you know what claustrophobia is? How many of you have ever suffered from claustrophobia? We'll, we'll pray for you later. No. But the word phobia is the word fear. That's the Greek word for fear. And so we have all these different types of phobias. I'm not a psychologist, but you, know, you can read different things about the types of fears that people suffer from. You know, claustrophobia is one that I think most people are familiar with because it's a fear of being enclosed and so in, 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 in encapsulated and impressed and pushed in and, and you just you lose your breath and you just... <sighs> and that's what the enemy would love to do to us. He would love to just keep us isolated and shut down and quiet and just stay in your little box. Well, if we did that, we wouldn't be fulfilling the Great Commission, would we? The Great Commission says, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. But if we're suffering from, in a sense, worldly claustrophobia, we stay in our little cloister, we stay within our little four walls, we won't go out and fulfill what Jesus died for. And you know, we all have a fear of sharing what Jesus has done for us. You know, it's sad, but a lot of people will not actually go out and share with people what Jesus has done in their life. And that's because of the fear of man, not the fear of God. Now, I'm going to show you this morning how to overcome the fear of man by walking in and understanding the fear of God. Because the, fear, the cure for the fear of man is the fear of God. You understand that? Now, in this situation, he says, what does the Lord require of thee? I believe the significance here, turn over to Proverbs chapter 1. Let's look at that real quick. And while you're finding that, also find Proverbs chapter 9. We'll read Proverbs chapter 9 first, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is a nasty subject. We really don't want to hear about it this morning. Oh, that, that's in the devil's Bible, not mine. Says the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy or of God or of his word, we could say, brings understanding. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, when I was here back in January, we taught some things about uh, helps and ministry of being involved in the ministry. And one of the things that I shared just briefly, and most of you probably don't even remember it, but is the fact that there's three basic things the Old Testament and Proverbs talks about, and that's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It's over and over and over again. You'll see those three terms. Uh, many times, they're even within the same verses, they'll talk about knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And I think it's interesting that the fear of the Lord begins with those three things, specifically wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Let me, let me simplify that for you, because sometimes we go, well, what's the difference? Well, there's a lot of difference. Knowledge is just the accumulation of facts. How many know that Jesus is, is your Lord? That's a fact, is it not? Is there anybody in here that's saved? Wait, raise, yeah, raise your hand wave at me. All right, we're going to have a major altar call here tonight, <laughs> this morning, excuse me. Now, this, that wasn't a trick question. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Knowledge is just the accumulation of facts. Everyone say facts. facts. Okay, understanding is the proper arrangement of those facts. Wisdom is the ability to use those facts in your life. 
See, we have a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge. They know certain facts, but they don't know how to arrange them. You know why people are confused and they end up with crazy traditions and doctrines is because they've taken certain facts that are in the Word of God and they've rearranged them to come up with some really goofy ideas. And then they try to apply them in their life and it doesn't work. And they say, oh, this Christianity stuff doesn't work. Well, the fear of the Lord is being of wisdom and it brings understanding. And the fear of the Lord is also knowledge and brings instruction so that our life will be productive in the things that God has for us. And I believe that if we're going to really be Christians, if we're going to endeavor to be Christ-like, because that's what a Christian means, then we ought to at least understand how this knowledge and understanding and wisdom works, and we ought to apply it in our life. Otherwise, someone ought to just hit us in the head and send us to heaven. So get out of the way. Hello? We have an assignment, people. And that assignment is to take what God has, has done and is doing and wants to do in our life and the lives of others and go share that with others. But I guarantee you the fear of man has shut many of us down. Now, the fear of man is one of those subtle little things that you don't even realize how deadly it is. You know, I, was, I think it's interesting. <clears throat> As a kid, I, I was really crippled by the fear of man. I actually took a failing grade in an English class when I was in school because I refused to stand up and do my speech. I would write my speech out. I did. All, I had, you know, I had a passing grade in English. But the teacher says, now you got to get up and do your speech. And I said, I will not stand up there in front of everybody. I can't do it. Well, now, I, the fear of man was so paralyzing in my life. I was so conscious of what are they thinking about me? What, what if, I, you know, you're such an, in a man-pleasing mode and you don't even realize that's what you're doing. But you want to be accepted, you want to, you want to be liked, you know, you, you want to be able to think that people aren't going to make fun of you. And so you stand up there and, and you, you, you just get paralyzed and, and you just quiver and shake. You know, I, was, uh, I played first trumpet in our band in, in high school. And as long as I could sit with the rest of the band, I was fine. And then one concert... He said, stand up and play your trumpet solo. I go, no. And I had to play this trumpet solo with the choir. Hundreds of people there. Now, if you ever played the trumpet, your lips have to work. And I had this very hard, difficult, had to hit some very high C notes, and I got up there to do my trumpet solo, and I went, I got through a couple, about three notes, and after that it was. <laughs> you know, everybody just really feels sorry for you. Have you ever watched somebody do something, and you, you just ache for them up there? Am I the only one that's ever, you just want to crawl out of your skin for them? You just want to go up there and hug them and bring them down, that's okay. Just sit down, we understand. That was me. I mean, I could not get up. Now, isn't it interesting that God called me to be a preacher? I guarantee you, I could not be standing here this morning if I had not learned the fear of the Lord. Because if it weren't for the fear of the Lord, I would still be <laughs> this morning. I could not stand here and talk to you. Now, <clears throat> when we understand what God desires to do in our life, if The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all these things. Everything about what God desires for us starts with the fear of the Lord. Then we have to understand how to get a hold of it. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 2. I've already quoted it, but Proverbs 29, 25, I didn't give you the address for it. The fear of the man brings a snare. But it says, whoever trusts and has faith in the Lord will be safe. Thank God for that. Proverbs chapter 2. Through this passage, I'm going to read, uh, kind of skip around verses 1 through 9. There's a classic thing called the if-then principle that is revealed here. In many cases throughout Scripture, there's if you do this, then then this will happen. That's the conditional, the, the technical term for it is called the conditional if. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth what will happen, then you'll get saved. That's the principle of Romans 10, 9, and 10. You have to do something. You have to respond to the word of God. Here's the promise. If you do this, then God says, I will do that. There's always the man side and there's the God side to every equation. 
Now, in this situation, he says, if, verse 1, thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. Notice verse 2. If thou wilt incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Verse 3. If thou criest after knowledge and lift up thy voice for understanding. Verse 4. If thou seekest her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure. Verse 5. Then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord. And you'll find the knowledge of God. In other words, you'll be in a relationship with him. Verse 9, then thou shalt understand righteousness and judgment and equity and every good path. Now you start putting all these scriptures together. Isn't it amazing how scripture always interprets scripture? Scripture is always dovetailing with other scriptures and enforcing the truth there. And he's saying that he wants us to understand something good. What does the Lord require of thee? All of these things that he gives us. To fear the Lord, walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him, to keep his commandments. And he does this for what? For our good. And then he says, what does, in in Micah again, what has he shown thee that, that is good for you? What has he declared and explained to us? What does he want us to understand? Again, what does he require of us to love, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly in, in his sight? See, those things all come together for your good. So sometimes when we think about the fear of the Lord, we have this wrong Old Testament impression of people just standing and quaking in God's presence. But you know, the New Testament on this side of the cross, how many of you realize we are not in the Old Testament anymore? On this side of the cross, that fear of God has not turned into a, oh my God, into a, oh my God. Because perfect love does what? Casts out all fear. Why? Because fear has torment. That kind of fear, we're not sure what's going to happen. I don't know about you, but I'm very certain about what's going to happen. You know, you had an announcement before about planning for the funeral. I'm planning for the resurrection myself. Every time you come to church, you're coming to a pre-planning service. Now, now thank God for your classes, because my my wife and I just had to deal with two funerals in, in the close family within the last two weeks. And it can be very overwhelming if you have not been prepared and if you haven't done your homework and gotten a, a lot of things done beforehand. So I encourage you to, to be prepared, do those kind of natural things. But for your spiritual life, stand in awesome reverence of who God is and be prepared for the resurrection. That's what we're here for. Now, if we're supposed to receive his words, hide his commandments in our heart, incline our ears towards these things, imply our heart towards them, cry after them, lift up our voice for them, seek after them, search after them. What does it say? Then we'll understand the fear of the Lord. Now, I had to kind of lay all this out and get you to the New Testament. So now turn over to Matthew. Remember, the Old Testament was just a type and a shadow of the things to come. It wasn't the original actual thing. You know, a type or a shadow, you know, you can see by a shadow what something looks like by a profile. But in Matthew chapter 23, very very quickly, I'm just going to look at one verse just before I get into some of the things I want to get to. Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and religious people dealing with their traditions and doctrines of the law, all this Old Testament stuff. You know, God very simply had given them some very simple things. And somehow or another, every time man got involved, he added some more conditions to it. He just kept adding more of this, kept adding more of that. And all of a sudden, it wasn't just love the Lord our God. It was you had to love the Lord your God if you dressed this way, talked this way, attended our church and, and did this and ate that and didn't do this and don't touch that and don't say this and don't look at that. And, and pretty soon you're like, well, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. Well, see, you just have to trust me. Then All of a sudden, then that person becomes your God. That's what religion and traditions and doctrines always do. It causes you to trust in another man rather than having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus yourself. Always becomes an interrupter and someone to step in the middle. I don't need someone to step in the middle between me and Jesus. Jesus died for me. He died for you. I'm about to show that to you in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, 
and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, the justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. Now, I'm going to put in a plug for your church and your pastor real quick here. Pastor Jim does not know, or Pastor Carol, or whoever does your finances here. I've been in the ministry for almost 30 years. And I run into this all the time when I go to churches and and deal with other pastors and ministers. I'm a, a director of a ministerial organization in this state. And they say, well, you know, tithing's in the Old Testament. That's under the curse of the law. And I've been redeemed from the curse of the law, so I don't have to tithe. See, it says right here. No, you didn't read that right. It says, yeah, you should have done the latter things, the things that are really important. It says, but don't neglect the former things. Just don't do it legalistically. Do it with justice. Do it with mercy. Do it with faithfulness. Do it with a right heart. And when you read Hebrews 6 and 7, and you talk about Melchizedek, and every time we tithe, we are acknowledging that Jesus is alive. It isn't about giving money. It's about the resurrection. Every time I put something in that offering plate, I'm saying, Jesus, you're my Lord of every area of my life. And all I'm doing is acknowledging it by by my act of obedience and worship. So all you're just after the money. No, I'm not. Jesus is after your heart. And that's all he's challenging these Pharisees. Because these Pharisees had turned giving into a religious act rather than an act of worship. Because the fear of the Lord is not a religious act. It is an act of worship. That type of fear means this. To be in to stand in awe, to reverence, to respect the awesomeness of this relationship that we have. Do you understand that God wants to be on a one-to-one relationship with every single one of us? Absolutely. You don't have to come, oh, pastor, will you pray? You just talk to God. He'll listen. Yeah, but you've got it in with him. No, I don't. I am no more in closer to him than you are. Doesn't work that way. He sent his Holy Spirit to be where? In every single one of us. We are his body. And not a single one of us is without importance. We're all part of his body. But he wants his body functioning to the degree that we should. Now, in this situation where he says, bring you all the tithe into the storehouse, and you look at all those tithing scriptures. You know, you look at Deuteronomy 14, 23, and you might not write this one down in your margin of your Bible next to Matthew 23. If it isn't already there and say in a good reference Bible, you'll see Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, next to Matthew 23, 23. And it'll say this, that, G, that, the, that the Lord God of Israel taught the fear of the Lord to Israel. First and foremost, this is where you see tithing introduced other than with Abraham. Through What? bringing their tithes to the storehouse, to the temple. And you think, why didn't he have an angel? Or why didn't he have some prophet? Or what? He said, because I know that you're natural people first and foremost. I know that you live in this natural plane first and foremost. Now, what's sad is that some of you, just because I started talking about money, you just turned me off. Don't sit there, play mute button with me. Undo it, because I'm not the one talking to your heart. If there's conviction, you let the Holy Ghost work on you. I'm not doing it, because this is the Word of God. This is Him speaking. And if there's some adjustment, and I know what I'm talking about, because I used to be one of those guys. I used to argue with my pastor when I first got saved, and he would preach tithing, and he'd preach giving, and he'd preach alms. Because, you know, in Deuteronomy, it talks about there's tithes, there's offerings, and there's designations. Those are the three types of giving that are scripture, talk about Scripture. Why am I getting off on this, Tom? I had no intention to get off on this. <laughs> now, of those three, tithes always are mentioned first, because that's like playing poker. You ante in. You know, I used to play poker every Thursday night. That was, that was poker night. After we got off of work, we get paid on Thursday years and years ago in my B.C. days before Christ. And I'd go, we'd go play poker Thursday night. We'd get paid. But before we could even get in the game, you had to ante up. You had to put in first. That's just like tithing. Then when you start betting whether or not you're going to get something, really get in, get in the game, that's when you start putting your offerings in. 
Well, some of you old carnal people will get that one. <clears throat> I better move on or won't invite me back. All right, turn over to Psalm 55. because We're going to talk about something here, and then we'll look in the New Testament. Why is it that we can sit in the church or sit and listen to messages over and over and over again and not have any transformation? You know, Romans chapter 12 talks about be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. The whole thing about Christianity is about transformation. Jesus says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. See, today what we have is scribes and Pharisees and so forth trying to rewrite the word of God and say, well, come as you are and we'll let you stay as you are because Jesus loves you just as you are. Well, that's true. Jesus does love you just as you are, and he loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. Isn't that true? So if we're going to come to Jesus, we come with the attitude of saying, I need help and I need transformation and I submit myself to you because I honor and respect and reverence you. And what do you need to do in my life, Jesus? Because if we don't really need to change, we really don't need a Savior. Hello? And that's why a lot of people aren't seeing the transformation and the change that the Word of God desires to see. In Psalm 55, verse 19, the King James says this, and it's kind of blind. It says, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. I'm not sure what translation you're reading, but some of the... A lot of your modern translations really have messed up that scripture. They, they have, because of the way the English language is as, as compared to the Hebrew language and, and the way things are structured, they've kind of got the subject after the participle over the adjective underneath the noun. Until I didn't, I passed English. I didn't say I was an English major. All right? Now, Amplified has it a little better. It says, because there has been no change of heart, they do not fear or revere or worship God. Now, I'm going to turn it around and put it into American. I don't speak English. I speak American. Most of us speak American. I have friends who speak English, the king's English. This is American. Because they do not fear the Lord, there has been no change of heart. That's the real translation that you and I can understand. Because they don't fear the Lord... There's no change of heart. Why is it that someone can literally sit in these pews or in these chairs week after week, year after year, and hear message and after message about a certain thing and just sit there? Preach it. Glory, hallelujah. And don't change a bit. Absolutely no transformation in their life. You know, as a pastor, it drove me crazy because that's my job is to wake you up and make changes in your life, to challenge you with the truth, to realize that if we compare our life to this truth, knowledge will come. And once that knowledge comes, then I have to do something with it. Then I need understanding to start to rearrange my life and be transformed. And then I need the wisdom of God to be able to start to walk it out in my life. And it all starts where? Everyone say, the fear of the Lord. And see, because we don't have the fear of the Lord... We really don't understand who's speaking to us. We really don't get it. We don't change. We don't change. And God desires change in our life. God desires the Word of God to transform us. Not just to leave us the way we are. Not just to give us a nice little encouraging message. You know, the Word of God isn't a very popular thing. You know, one of the things that I had to deal with as as a pastor is, you know, when I was young and getting into the ministry, you know, I I looked at all of this and I just thought, oh, man, I can't stand up there. I was still overcoming the fear of the Lord. And uh, actually, I'm going to tell you my testimony. I I started as I had a Bible study in my home way back, let me think, 1978 was the first time we had the Bible study in my house. And uh, back in those days, some of you aren't old enough to remember 1978, but it was just a move of God. I mean, you could just, you know, hiccup and someone would get saved. It was bizarre. It was weird. You know what I'm talking about. And it was just, there was just a move of God back in those days. You'd just open your house up and, and people would just show up from everywhere. And you don't even know where they came. How'd you find out? And people would just show up. Well, we thought, we're going to have a Bible study in our house. Glory to God, we got a house. We're in South Minneapolis right by Lake Harriet, and God's moving. And, 
and yeah, let's have a Bible study. So I invited someone to come and teach a Bible study. I just provided the house. Well, he chickened out and didn't show up. So they all sat around and looked at me like, well, you called this meeting. And I'm looking at all them. So I just kind of facilitated the meeting, which meant I talked 90% of the time. Because they were all just, we were all just so dumb hungry that, I mean, just Bible, words, life, yes. That's about how simple it was. And so the next week I thought, okay, I better teach this. So I, I got actually some notes together. Wow. And we had this little portable TV on a little roll-around stand in our living room. Some of you remember those? Not these big screens. I, I mean, big, I mean, big, 19-inch TV, this deep, <laughs> rolling around, had a slant in the back. So I sat down behind the TV, put my Bible on the slant, and this is all you saw. <laughs> and I preached from behind the t- I started with a TV ministry. <laughs> I always tell people, yeah, I started with a TV ministry, glory to God. But for weeks, that's all they ever saw of me until the fellowship time in the kitchen because I wanted to get out there for the chocolate chip cookies. But other than that, it was like this. I mean, if, if someone was deaf and they had to read lips, tough. They, all they could start see is my eyes. But one time, I got so excited with an illustration, I stood up. And they all went, oh! And I went, oh! And I realized, well, it's not so bad. Because I got so excited with Jesus and the truth and the word that guess what? It overcame my awareness of them. I really didn't care about them. I just cared about the truth and Jesus and the word. And I was so excited about it. I was just like, wow! Some of you need to get excited about Jesus at work and just stand up in your little cubicle and go, wow! And they'll go, what? Because all they see about Jesus of you is this. Come on. The reason we don't have change is because we haven't started where God told us to start. And that's with the fear of God. We haven't started all that we do with first and foremost understanding what I'm involved with here involves God. This isn't religion. This isn't church. This is God. This is eternal stuff we're dealing with every single day. And the more we become aware of that, the more it changes us. And the more it changes us, the bolder we get, the more confident we get, the less I'm I'm concerned about what you think. Again, as I started to say earlier, pastoring and preaching is not a popularity contest. And I used to think that. When I first started going out and traveling, and I used to, long before I was a pastor, I used to travel and teach. Uh, go do different places, and wherever they would invite me, whosoever will, I would come. And uh, you'd, you'd get there, and you know you wanted to make sure you had a really good message, and you really wanted them to like you, and so you you know you'd just have I'd, I'd show up with 14 pages of notes. I'm gonna wow them. You know I realized that all the preaching was then about about me. It wasn't about God's word getting to them. It was about me making sure that I presented God's word to them and that they liked me. See, that fear of man still had a grip on my life and I didn't even know it. See, the thing about the fear of man is this. As long as we are in this life, we will have to deal with it. If you ever stand on a platform, you will have to deal with it. We live in a culture today that has actually accentuated it. We call it American Idol. I call it American idolatry myself. Because what we've done is we've idolized the person that can get up there and perform the best that pleases me and does the best thing that I think is is important or, you know, wows me. Do you know that most of the preachers in the Bible weren't very popular? 
How many, how many times do you think that Jesus was popular when everyone just said, what, and walked away? I mean, he might have been popular the first day when he rode into Jerusalem, but what happened just a few days later? Huh? They voted him off the island, didn't they? He wasn't so popular then. You look at Paul. You look at Stephen, who was stoned by the crowd. You look at every Old Testament prophet. I mean, Moses was real popular. But God chose him to lead their, his people out of bondage and into the promised land. And he had to make some tough decisions based on God's promise and God's plan and not pleasing the people. And yet many times what we do is we get caught in this idea that we somehow, if I can just make them like me, if I can just somehow develop a relationship with them, if I can please them, then they'll hear the gospel from me. There is a truth, but if you compromise the truth for that truth, you are not going to get through to them because you're right back to the fear of man without even knowing it. A lot of these modern-day last 20, 30 years of outreach have been a failure in discipleship because all they've done is gathered a crowd, but they haven't made disciples. The Great Commission doesn't say... Gather all the people, get as many as you can to convert. It says make disciples. And a disciple is one who stands in awe and reverence and the fear of the Lord and understands exactly that knowledge and understanding and wisdom and worships the King of Kings and realizes what we're doing every single day involves God. He says if we're going to really seek after the truth and all the things that God wants us to do, he says... When we seek that with all of our heart, we will then begin an understanding of the fear of the Lord. And when we get a hold of the fear of the Lord, glory to God, you're going to get in situations you will be standing at work or you will be sitting at at a relative's house come Thanksgiving and you'll actually tell them what you're thankful for. You'll be sitting with some family at Christmas time and you'll actually tell them what Christmas means. That it's Christ that's at the center of this holiday, not presents about me. See, the fear of man is is the tool that the enemy uses against us over and over and over. And if we don't honestly walk into a situation and realize, I'm doing this for God. I, I do this for an audience of one. When we understand that, we can have a transforming impact in our life and in the lives of those around us. But if we are if we're just settling about trying to just do our own little thing and trying to be imp- Pressed to you impress know, other people and be liked, and, and we're not going to change the world. It's not going to happen, people. Now, I'm not talking about being obnoxious or being a jerk. I'm talking about being truthful to the, to the true, to, to the real truth of the gospel, to the true to the one who has called us. And that's what the fear of the Lord is all about. And everything that involves our Christianity starts where? With the fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins where? With the fear of the Lord. Knowledge begins where? With the fear of the Lord. There's no change of heart without what? The fear of the Lord. Now, I could give, I have, literally, I do have 14 pages of notes. <laughs> but I want to make sure that you've got the, the real heart and the, and the highlights of what this is all about. We are in, in league. We are in cahoots with God. Do we really really appreciate that? Did you understand that when you came to church, you're not just coming to church to see brother so-and-so and and sister so We're coming together as the body of Christ. This is a God getting together. We're here because of Him. Well, i got to talk to so-and-so and and we're here to sing, sing three songs and dance a little bit. No. The fear of the Lord... Has something greater for us. Turn over to um, Matthew chapter 10. Let's start looking at some New Testament scriptures here. While you're finding Matthew chapter 10, let me just read a couple verses to you out of Psalms and Proverbs. Well, let me just read a few out of Proverbs because otherwise it would take too long. Because the psalmist says, because we do not fear the Lord, there has been no change of heart. The psalmist and the the writer of Proverbs repeatedly give us explanations of 
things that God would do in our heart if we would understand the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. If there's evil tempting you, guess what? If you fear God, if you walk in the fear of the Lord, it'll cause you to depart from that temptation. Proverbs 14, 16, A wise man fears the Lord and departs from evil, but the fool is rash and presumptuous. Proverbs 16, 6, By mercy and truth and iniquity or sin is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. You know, when people are continue to fall into the same problem over and over and over, that tells me there's been no change of heart. That tells me there is no fear of God. So what religion does is says, well, we've got to get you to stop giving place to that evil. No, what you need to get is a good dose of the fear of the Lord. See, what we do in religious thinking is, here's the problem. Now, we have to get you to stop looking at the problem. Oh, you have a drug addiction. Stop thinking about drugs. Stop looking about it. Oh, you have a problem with pornography. Oh, we have a problem with lying. Oh, we have a problem with worrying. Well, everybody worries. No, we don't. We don't have to. Because worry is actually fear in disguise. And there is no fear in love. Oh, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with this. We got to get all everybody. We got to pray about this problem. No, you don't. You need to get them to pray that they get a good dose of the fear of the Lord. Because when they get a good dose of the fear of the Lord, I just gave you three scriptures, and there's tons of them that says what'll happen. You'll depart from whatever that evil is. Many times when we're dealing with an issue, let's be honest about what the issue is. Yes, that may be. You know, there's not a person in here that hasn't had some issue that has tried to put you into bondage. That is humanity. Welcome to planet Earth. We are living in a hostile environment that says we're living in a world that's bound by the law of what? Sin and death. But thank God, according to Romans, we live by a higher law. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from that law of sin and death. But that law of the spirit of life comes because I know the spirit of life. Because I walk in the fear of God. And because of my relationship with him, I will depart from evil. You know, we use the illustration. If you're standing there... And you're about to steal something, and you're looking around to see if there's any cameras, any police, any undercover people, and you're about ready to take something because you really, really need it, and you really, really want it, and, and these, these guys got so much money, they won't miss it. I, I hate to tell you this, but Jesus is there watching. And when you're aware of the fear of God, and you're about to go, and that inside voice, that little, still, small voice says, Don't do it. I'm watching you. What'll happen? Just as your hand reaches out, you're going, <laughs> you ought not do it. The fear of the Lord will make you do what? Depart. Draw back. Back off from whatever that temptation is. For some, it might be alcohol. Some, it might be drugs. Some, it might be pornography. might be lying. Whatever it is. Every single one of us is being tempted every single day. As long as you're in this earth, you'll be tempted. But as long as you're in this earth and you've got Jesus, you can resist temptation. How? This is what the Lord requires of you, first and foremost, to walk in the fear of the Lord. And it'll cause you to depart from whatever that is. It'll bring change to your heart. So you no longer value or put esteem on whatever that is that's tempting you. Because, you know, something, I, you know, I used to do a lot of drugs and drink, but I got remember, I grew up in the 60s, all right? I'm, thank God I survived the 60s. All right? But, you know, I'm not tempted by drugs anymore. But I am free to do all the drugs I want. I just don't want to. Why? Because of the fear of God. Because I know if I did that, I'd give place to the enemy, and the enemy would probably take my life in a heartbeat. He'd love to silence my voice. And through those temptations and through those situations, he's silencing much of the body of Christ today. If every, You know the statistics. You've got evangelists in this church. They always say, you know, if it's just one of us would all just win one. We, you know, all a third of the world is already a Christian, and we've been, all of us was one, one, the two thirds, and then next year we'd win the other, and we don't, and we just go home and be with Jesus, like, yeah, let's do that. And 90% of us go, yeah, you do it. Why is that? Because the most of us 
We sit back and the fear of the Lord tells us, I don't want everybody to know at work that I'm a Jesus freak. Why? Fear of man. All I'm challenging you with this morning is to really examine your heart. Why aren't you stepping out in some... I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm just talking about you being honestly moved by the Spirit of God. Move with compassion. Move with a heart. When, When you see someone hurting, just go up and start talking to them. Just just make yourself available to them. Share the truth with them. You found Matthew chapter 10 yet? Gave you a lot of time. (laughs) Verse 28. This is is a scripture I didn't preach for years because I didn't get it. I mean, I thought I got it, but I really didn't get it. And until I really spent a lot of time studying and meditating on Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 12, the parallel, I, I just couldn't go there. I couldn't teach it until I felt comfortable that I really understood God's heart in it. Romans, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says this, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, notice that's a capital H there, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So who should we stand in fear of? Not the devil. Stand in awe of God, because if we reject God, he has the authority to destroy our lives through judgment. He's already made it clear in his word. If you reject me, I will reject you. In fact, let's turn over to Luke chapter 12, verse 4. It says this, And I say unto you, my friends. Now, I love that because he says, my friends. He's qualifying his relationship to the people that he's talking to. He says, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you should fear, Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now that happens to be King James, and King James really botched that scripture. That's why I didn't want to preach it for a long time, because I know God's not the killer. Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. I had to go back and start looking up other scriptures and other translations and go into the original language and say, I'm just not comfortable with the way King James and some of the other more modern translations have tried to understand. Because they've allowed their own traditions and doctrines of the Old Testament to sneak over to the New Testament. I like like some other more uh, accurate scriptures that says this. And I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Your more accurate translations, you look up some of, the, some of your Greek lexicons and so forth, it's, it's not that the one who has that authority does the killing. It actually, the way it's really structured is when you have died, there is one to whom you will have to give account. And, ha- and that one has the authority to make a decision with your life. He has the authority. The devil doesn't have the authority. God has the authority to say, have you accepted me or rejected me? And you keep reading there, and Jesus goes on and says, if you confess me before men, I will do what? Confess you before the Father. But if you reject me and deny me before men, he says, I I can't help it, but I'm going to have to deny you before my Father. Why? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't come to the Father. He says, no one goes to the Father but through who? Jesus. He says, if you deny me, I can't confess you before my Father. So then they will come before the Father, will come before Jesus, and the Father will say, I don't know you. Who are you? And he has every right and authority to say, you're out of here. Oh, no, well, God loves everybody. Yes, he does. He said Jesus improved that. But then he expects us to respond to that love and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You know, I'm not a universalist, and there's a lot of Christians that are becoming universalists. It, it just grieves my heart because, well, you know, God loves her. He's going to get, you know, I believed that when I used to be an agnostic before I got saved. You want to discuss that? I'll meet you later because I'll tear your doctrine apart. Jesus said, I am the way. And he says, you aren't getting in without going through me. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not anything else. It's not, you know... Uh, Never mind, I won't get into it. I was about to get political. All right. Another translation of this. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 10. Let me wrap this up for you. 
Matthew chapter 10 again. Let's look at that. I've been, I've been quoting some of this, but let's actually look at it. <clears throat> For the sake of clarity, let me read to you the message translation in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 26. Rather than saying, don't be afraid and so forth, the message puts it this way. Don't be intimidated. I think all of you know what intimidation means. Someone is so big and powerful or intimidating that they shut you down. And that's what the world wants to do. That's what the devil wants to do. That's what fear will do to you. It will intimidate you to, to be quiet. He says, don't be intimidated. Eventually, everything is going to be out in the open, and everyone will know how things really are. So don't hesitate to go public now. I like that. This is verse 27. So don't hesitate to go public now. Don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies. There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God, who holds your entire life, body and soul, in his hands. That's a better way to understand it in our language today. He holds your future in his hands based upon our response to him, whether we accept or reject him. Verse 29, what's the price of a pet canary? <laughs> some, loose, some loose change, right? Now, your water is, you know, talks about a sparrow falling to the ground, how many hairs on your head. See, th these things didn't make sense to me when you're reading through these. And that's why I stayed away from these verses for a long time. He says, what's the price of a pet canary? Some loose change, right? And God cares what happens to it even more than you do. He pays even greater attention to you down to the last detail even numbering the hairs on your head. So again, don't be intimidated by all this bully talk. You're worth more than a million canaries. <laughs> I like that. Uh, verse 32, listen to what he says. Stand up for me against world opinion, and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. But if you turn tail and run, do you think I'll cover for you? You know, if someone turns tail and runs, you have a choice. You say, well, I don't know where they went. You cover for them. Or else you say, you know what? They ran. And Jesus is going to tell the truth, isn't he? He says, I can't cover for you. Either you're in or you're out. Either you're with me or you're against me. And all he's saying here is very simply this. Don't hesitate to go public with your relationship with me because you're standing in awe of who you're in relationship with and it's more important to be in relationship with him. I care more about my relationship with God than my relationship with anybody else. Amen. And I believe I can be in a better relationship with you because of my relationship with God. And because of my intimacy with him and that knowing of him and that understanding and wisdom of him in my life, I can have ways to speak into your life. And if you have that relationship with him, you can speak into my life. And that's how we all grow. So don't hesitate to go public now. It says, stand up for me against world opinion. You know, 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Love. Power and love and a sound mind. You know, I, I, I've heard a lot of people quote it with love first, but it's not first. You know, a lot of people can't get to love unless they first understood the power and authority of God in their life. We can't understand the love of God till we understand the reverence of God. Until I really understand my relationship with Him, do I really get to really understand that love that He has for me and my love for Him. It starts with power, authority, a relationship of miraculous knitting together with the God of creation. Then love. And out of that then comes what? A sound mind. A renewed mind. Because I'm not conformed to this world, I've been transformed. And, I, and the result is what? A sound mind. So that when I'm tempted, I make the decision. No, the fear of God says, don't go there. I depart from evil. The fear of God says, no, I'm going to walk in all his ways. The fear of God says, no, I'm going to love and serve him. The fear of God says, no, I'm going to obey his commandments. I'm going to do righteously and justly and walk in humility. All these things that the Lord thy God requires of thee is going to be easy for me to do because I understand the fear of the Lord. 
Father, we just thank you this morning that we've had the opportunity again just to be encouraged with the truth of your word. Father, I thank you that I know that probably only 5 or 10% of what was said is going to stick to some of the people here. But I also thank you that your word says that the Holy Spirit is on assignment to bring these things to our remembrance. So when we are in difficult places, when we are in situations where we have to make choices, when we are in situations, Lord, I thank you for the greater one on the inside of each and every one of us to rise up and bring to our remembrance the fear of the Lord, to bring to our remembrance who it is that we represent, to bring to our remembrance right then and there the fear of God so that we can depart from evil and yet enter into being able to challenge evil and bring truth to the lives of others around us. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you for it, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah, I'm impressed to do something um, a little different. If you are a, a licensed or ordained minister, hmm, thank you, Jesus. If you are a licensed or ordained minister or a missionary or an evangelist where you are, you are standing before people and you are teaching or, or preaching, I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I, just stand up where you are right now. If, if, you, if that's you. That's you. If you are a licensed or ordained minister or a missionary and evangelist where you are standing before people and preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel, I want you just to stand. All right. I want all of you just to reach out towards these people. We're going to pray specifically for them because I'm going to tell you why. These people have to deal with the fear of man more than anyone else. And the fear of God is one of those things that we can come alongside and pray for them to really get a good dose of that fear of God. And the next time you stand up before men, you will realize that what you're doing is for an audience of one and has nothing to do with the people you're teaching to. Has nothing to do with whether there's two or two million. Because I guarantee you, I've been there. You stand up. I've been on the stage with thousands of people. And it just gets you like, oh, my God. What are you going to do? The fear of man grips you. And unless you are able to right at that moment just get a hold of yourself and say, Lord, all I want to do is please you. Thank you. That was his Morris code say, go ahead. So we're going to pray for these. Whoever else is back here. Father, we just thank you for each and every one of these messengers called and anointed and appointed for that very purpose to bring the message of the gospel to people. Now, Father, we just stand in agreement with them that at that time, every time, not just sometime, but every single time they stand before your people, before the world. I thank you, Father, for the greater one in them to rise up, to bring an understanding to bring an awareness of the presence and the power of God that they do this for you and not to be a man pleaser, not to do this to be seen of men. But, Father, I thank you that they do this under the authority and under the specific assignment that you have given them. So, Father, I thank you for it now in Jesus' name for the boldness, the very boldness. I'm just going to lay hands on my friend Tom here in, in place of all of you. Father, I just thank you for that impartation of boldness and confidence to trust in you. Greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world, than all those that are in the world. Whether it's two or two thousand, it doesn't matter. They do this for you. They're so so much more aware and conscious of you. They're not here to please men. They are here to please you. Father, your word says that if we please the Lord, we would even be able to please our enemies. (laughs) Oh, Father, how much more then should we just walk in the fear of God? Walk in the fear of the Lord, the very beginning of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and instruction. The very beginning to cause us to depart from anything that would be displeasing to you. We thank you. Father, we just 
thank you for being in our lives individually. You care for us so much. You know how many, you know every sparrow that falls to the ground. You know the very hairs of our head. You're involved with every detail of our life. So how much more would you be involved with this taking the truth to a lost and dying world? We will not be intimidated by the world, but we will be encouraged by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.